Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 126 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Dan Walton joining us, and him and his team over at ethics.market have built one of the first decentralized applications for trading cryptocurrencies, and definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. We talk a lot about blockchain and crypto, and as always, we hope you'll learn a lot. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment, as usual, to thank all the incredible sponsors and supporters here at Conquering Columbus. So I'm going to kick it over to Josh to tell you a little more about our first sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Dan Walton joining us, and Dan is the co-founder and CEO of Ethics.Market, a company that makes trading software for blockchain tokens built around DAP, one of the world's first Web3 decentralized applications for trading cryptocurrencies, and the FX team is also planning the eventual ICO of their own coin, ETX, and we're really excited to have him here to talk about FX and the crypto market. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Dan. Glad to be here. Yeah, so there's a lot going on in the crypto world, and things kind of go up and down all the time. I'm sure you've got a lot going on, but what's maybe a typical day look like for you? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I write a lot of software. I'm a software engineer, and so the primary thing 
I do is is write write software and help help our team um, solve problems and any, anything that comes up. And I talk to potential partners for our company. That, that's that's what my day to day is like. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, kind of one of the first things we like to do generally is take a step back and really look into how you got to where you are today. So anything from you know where you grew up, childhood, how you got into software development, engineering, um, school, that sort of thing. So. Can you take us back? Yeah, I grew up here in Columbus and went to OSU. And then after graduating um, with an engineering degree, I went out to uh, California, San Francisco, and um, worked on startups, helped people build companies, helped build some of my own, and then decided that I wanted to create something here. So that, that's, yeah, but that's how, that's kind of my background. So talk a little bit about the path out of California. So when you graduated from Ohio State, what did what was your decision? You know, what were you looking at that made you say, okay, I'm going to take off and you know go all the way to the West Coast? And- I didn't. I wasn't really particularly drawn to the West Coast. Um, I I was excited about the adventure of going out there, but I I didn't say to myself like I want to go to the West Coast. But I were, was interested in some software that was being written out there, and there's a team of people that I wanted to work with. And so I went out and I worked on software projects with them. It was in the, it was uh, a lot of music, a lot of music related software, signal processing, um, that kind of thing. In what year is this? Oh, 2001, around there. And okay. so you identify this, this group of people that are working on this software that you're interested in. How do you connect with them? Um, do you just reach out to them? Hey, I want to be a part of your team, or do you just take the leap, move out there? I mean, obviously, you got to have some money and resources in place. Well, I mean, no, I didn't. I didn't have any money. Um, I had some. <laughs> you said that so casually, too. <laughs> I just, oh, no, I just went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't have it. I didn't really have um, any. But the I did have a lot of support, you know, from um, you know family and friends and all that. But but what it was is I was writing software in college, and I met other people who was inter- who were interested in the software that I was writing, essentially, you know, and and then through that came an internship, and then through that came came more work. And I, um, back then, you know, in 2001, the, you could live, uh, I wasn't in San Francisco, I didn't move directly to San Francisco, I moved to Northern California, and you know, cost of living was, was reasonable. And um, then by the time I moved down to San Francisco, it was also somewhat reasonable at the time I did that, and from there, you know, you, you just keep working on, on projects and find more opportunities and piece it together. Okay, okay, and so, how long did you spend Northern California, San Francisco? Uh, it's got to be like, you know, 15 or 16 years. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned you launched some of your own companies at that time. I mean, what were some of those yeah. centered around? So I built um, uh, a mobile app uh, company where we built like audio and music related software. Mm-hmm. I, I worked, uh, I was a co-founder of a company that did guitar recording software and music recording software before that. I made a location-based games company, so you could go out in the real world and play games. This is before Pokemon Go, so it was for your mobile phone. And uh, we made a game called Dokobots, where you'd go out and find robots and activate them and trade them with other players. And I, I um, made um, uh, a company that, that basically worked for, startups would hire us and we'd build products for them and build out whatever they needed, um, sort of as a hired gun group. And uh, I got to work on a lot of really cool stuff that way, a lot of startups. like. You know, Eventbrite. You know, our company worked for them and worked for um, Twitch back when they were Justin TV and um, Adobe, and like got to work for a lot of the a lot of the companies in the West Coast. 
So, I mean, 15 years is a long time, and you package it up pretty condensedly. It probably seems short looking back on it. But for you, like, you're creating all these companies along the way. Um, are you doing that full time, or are you working your own job along the side? Like, what was that uh, kind of grind like? Yeah, I've never really, you know, I, I think it's just, a, it's just a grind. I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, was never really employed by anyone, you know, by, by some other company. I always just kind of kept working on things that I thought were, um, you know, exciting, interesting, cutting edge, challenging, and that's all I did. And it, you know, it, it ended up, you know, I had a really great group. Of, I have still have a really great group of people that I work with on this stuff, and um, you know, we just keep going. Um, so yeah. Were you worried at all, or um, interested at all in chasing, you know, like the monetary side of things, or was it just your passion for engineering and development that kept moving you forward? I think that if, if, if money wasn't a problem for me, I would still be creating things, but they would be different types of things. If I was just like, oh, like it's never an issue, like I never have to worry about it ever again or something, I'd probably create slightly different types of things that I create. And I probably would, would, it would things would look differently. It's absolutely true. It's a factor. And I've come to get to the point where when I think about engineering, I think about, you know, kilobytes per second and memory and, uh, you know, 32-bit color, whatever it is I'm thinking about, but I also, all those resources, bandwidth, whatever, but I'm also thinking about, you know, the financial side too. And I try to think of that as another engineering resource, as another creative resource, rather than as a, um, you know, to, to try to kind of keep it uh, all in the same domain for myself, rather than say, okay, there's the money side and then there's the technology and creative side. Just try to kind of put it all together. And that's what I've been trying to do over the last, like, maybe five years, 10 years. And you're out there for 15 years. You're surrounded by other people that are all trying to create hustle. You know, maybe make a business or the next you know app. At that point, what was that life like for you? Like, do you get caught up in the chase of networking with these other engineers that are trying to do the same thing, or is it more like everybody's in it together out there? Or? No, I'm not a great networker. I'm not. It's not. It's not what I've done. It, it may have served me better if I was. Um, I would try to keep my head down and, and write code. And there would be times when I would see a potential partner and see a potential opportunity and specifically reach out to them and say, hey, we could do this really cool thing together. Look at what we've done so far. Could you imagine X, Y, Z? And, and make those happen. And, and, and you know, you maybe have to, maybe in my case, I'd have to send you know, five or three of those emails or whatever to make that happen. But, but I'm not like a networker where I have some like, crazy cool business network. I, it's not horrible, but other people do a much better job with that than I do. I'm, I, I, I stay too deep in the code. I've been trying to change that a little bit, but I don't want to ever completely change that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what do you think were your biggest takeaways from your time in San Francisco? You know, I think that obviously, or not San Francisco, but just Northern California in general as well. Um, there's definitely a different environment out there than there is in almost anywhere else in the world. So when it comes to collaboration or building your own company, kind of what were some of your key takeaways from your time there? That's a great question. There are definitely a lot of extremely hardworking people there, a lot of creative people, and a lot of people that are willing to take risks. There's a lot of um, high-tech financing, absolutely. There is a community of people that are able to connect together around the types of projects that you see come out of the West Coast. You know, and it, it's not, it isn't, you know, something like Google or, or Twitter or, or, I don't know, anything, th those companies, they are the result of a culture. And that's the best thing I 
can remember is that like the same people, like I worked with a company back when I went there and, and uh, we were developing software for this system called uh, BEOS as an early operating system and it, it, it ultimately failed. But that, those engineers went on to go make Android. And, and, and there were many things along the way that they, they did. It wasn't just that. It was people went to Palm and they went to, and they ran around in tribes to create these companies, especially the engineers. They, they sort of move together to these different groups. So one company will fail, but the group will move on and, and kind of repeat their culture and repeat their process. So the, there's a culture and a process of building these things and, and persisting through the, the failing corporations, but the people are all still kind of working together as they move around through. Um, so that that was that that to me is like is interesting, you know, to think about because um, it, it it contrasts with I think a lot of the rest rest of the world that would also like to build things that you see coming out of San Francisco. It's interesting. So you've almost got like a tribe of engineers running from company to company and just putting all their minds together and doing the same process over and over again towards a different end goal. Right. They already know how to work together. They already have a culture of working together. So even if the company fails, that same group ends up finding, at least it could fragment, it could splinter or whatever, but that, that same kind of kind of energy will go on to, to sort of the next project. You would see that happen. And that was always like a really, really interesting thing. I mean, mo I, I, I worked for startups out there and most of them would fail. I'd watch a lot fail. And, and it, you know, it was due to luck and it was due to people deciding they didn't work to want to work together anymore, or that they couldn't find another round of financing or whatever, but but ultimately they would they would uh, go on you know and, and continue to sort of do what they did and 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 pursue it like with a lot of passion and the entire time you know these have to be people that these are people that are working extremely hard and in a lot of cases they're getting paid less with less certainty than than people working at much more established companies so I, I mean the startup culture is is definitely interesting and there are people who have probably you know experienced it and and fuller ways than I have and, and written books about it and stuff. But my, that's kind of my takeaway. And you know, it's a partial view, but that's, that's one of the things that I would see. So what eventually sparks the move back to Columbus? Well, I decided that I, decided that I wanted to try living somewhere else. I'd been there for a long time. Um, I still have my brother and a bunch of my team is still there in San Francisco, and I still work with them. But I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to live somewhere else for a while and potentially work with new engineers in that region and, and try to kind of bridge the gap a little bit, you know, try to, try to, you know, try to get the best of what I can find. Because San Francisco is a very extreme place. And so if everything's always in San Francisco, it's always going to be one way. But maybe if you can bring another, another thing, another piece of energy into it, you've got a little bit more diversity in your group and maybe you're able to solve different kinds of problems. And so I just, I ultimately just wanted to, wanted to experience um, another place. The big irony that I recognize is that in Silicon Valley, California, the, the tech people there are trying to create tools so that people can work remotely. People can work from anywhere. And so, but they all want to work there. That, that, that's an irony to me. And I'm, so I'm, I've always wanted to say like, well, let's, let's see if we can distribute this a little bit more and, and um, take advantage of those tools that have been built to collaborate across and not, and everyone doesn't have to live in San Francisco. So when you first move back here, what does that process look like for you? You get back, um, do you already have an idea on mind what your ne next initiative is going to be? Or? Yeah, no, I, I, I'd been working, so I moved, I moved out, and I, I have a very old sailboat, a very, very old uh, 1970s sailboat, and I moved on to that to, to work on ethics. And so I started uh, building ethics there um, out of the city, 
and working with my team in San Francisco, but I was just like, look, I, I know I'm gonna leave San Francisco to work on this project. And um, so I worked there for, you know, um, months, uh, I don't know many, I don't know exactly how long it was, but, but you know, three to six months. What year is this? Out of a sailboat, you're working out of a sailboat? Yeah, so this was, this was um, I'd take the ferry into the office sometimes, or other times I'd like, just work on the boat, and and um, it was like way cheaper than the apartment. <laughs> Why did you sail the boat into the office? I did. I, I did that too. I, I sailed it across <laughs> the bay, and then docked it near the office, and walked in. And this is again, this is a very efficient way to live in the Bay Area if you can figure out uh, all the ins and outs. And so I I I knew I was already going to leave. So I was like, okay, well, let's start by doing this. And then I think it was maybe six months after that, I started traveling the country, uh, staying in Airbnbs. And the idea was I wanted to find out where I was going to. Um, you know, build this project. So I'd go to Ethereum meetups and blockchain meetups all over the country, and I'd go to, um, I was in like Detroit and Florida and New York and um, uh, Tennessee and um, Texas and Bellingham and just checking out like all the different possibilities. And I'd grown up in Columbus, so I kind of, it was on the bottom, it was like the last place I went. It was on the bottom of my list, visiting the parents. And I was gonna be there for a couple of weeks, and I was so, blown away by all the changes that had happened here and all the sort of like new exciting things going on that I was just like, I became like a fanboy. It was like crazy. I was like, I, cause I was always like, oh, you know, like I've been there, I don't wanna like, I don't wanna necessarily, but it's a totally different place. So it was, it's been an adventure coming back. I've met a ton of new great people and seen all the, the new things that have been happening here. It's just, we just basically decided that week, you know, that first couple of weeks I was here. And what year is this? Uh, this was um, February this year. Okay. So as you start getting into this project, like obviously blockchain has already picked up at that point and gained a lot of momentum. I mean, this is just over the course of the last year and a half then, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've been following blockchain for a long time, but it wasn't until like Ethereum that I realized you could build you could build applications and sort of contribute to it without sort of competing with it. And, and like it all kind of came together around that time. But yeah, I mean, this was over a year ago, well over a year ago. and. Um, yeah, been been working extremely hard on it since, uh, like, pouring more energy into it since February. Okay. And so what was your vision for the, I mean, you know, when you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, I need, I want to work in the blockchain space, I want to work with cryptocurrencies, but I don't want to compete, kind of what, what problem were you looking to solve with? Really, I didn't want to make a new blockchain. I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I didn't want to create, like, a new coin or whatever. Mm -hmm. I wanted to create something that realized some of the promise of what uh, a blockchain is. And so that to me was the idea that two people in the world can swap uh, uh, two digital assets. And these days, digital assets can really be anything. They can represent everything. You know, they can rep represent physical property, they can represent, um, you know, cell phone or whatever it is, cell phone minutes, anything. Um, so the idea is that I saw that two people in the world could swap without some third party uh, taking a custodian of those things. You know, it's like two people can guarantee that the two digital assets are gonna exchange hands and they don't have to trust each other. They could be anywhere in the world and they can do this peer-to-peer -peer trading. And this has never been possible before. Before, you always needed to make something that looked like a bank that would hold all the assets and then people would go up to it and trade them. And this previous way of doing trading kind of behind a curtain and managing it this this older way is it has a lot of problems there's a lot of things that that go wrong in it and there's a lot of chances for people to to um to do a lot of economic harm with those systems so they're highly regulated by governments 
So what that means is that our trading systems for digital goods are all highly regulated by governments, and that means that China, Japan, Korea, the United States all have different trading systems for digital assets. That's why they all have different stock markets. That's why they all have different, different like trading houses all over, and that's why they have different companies in a way. There's a Chinese Google and there's a Korean Facebook, right? Like you hear these things. It's because the trading systems that trade the economic ownership of those projects have to be based in a country. So if you can swap digital assets just on the internet without anyone holding it for you in any country, you can start to create new types of companies and human organizations that have never existed before. And so that's what I what I was interested in in bringing about, and um, and that that's where that's where this project came from. It's interesting, you know the the way you just described it kind of gave me like I've kind of understood the blockchain, and I've, I I always say the blockchain. I'm like the old man who says the Facebook, <laughs> but I've kind of understood blockchain and the thought process behind cryptocurrencies. But the way you mentioned the the problem, the underlying problem of can I trust this person to send me something without without going to a third party? It kind of reminded me of, I don't know, like you know, hostage situation in a movie, yeah. right? Where you're like, hey, you give you give it to me first, and then I'll send it to you, right? Yeah. It kind of avoids that problem. Exactly. That, that, that's exactly right. And that that problem is one of the reasons why we started doing the trading um, through banks, essentially. But there are other reasons why they why they did that back then, and and now we're trying to bring about something that just eliminates that that problem to begin with and allows people to trade with no no real no no center no trading house it's just it's just a, a completely peer-to-peer -peer trading system okay so you've covered the vision what is the long-term goals and the objective look like and then what does the team look like so the, the goals you know at the moment you know we're, we're young and I, I you know we're gonna change as we go along but like the goal at the moment the vision at the moment for me is to create tools that are a part of every trade so like if you look at uh, I sometimes say it's like if you look at Autodesk, they create everything around you. They, they didn't make that, but their tools touched it in some way. And it could have been different. Like you don't know which tool they used or how they used it or whatever, but their tools are a part of almost every object that's made today on Earth. It, it has to, it doesn't have to, but people know that it's the best tools and they use them to design the, the objects in the world around us. And so like I want to make tools the same way that allow people to do this peer-to-peer -peer trading and, and we want to we wanna get to the point where every kind of trade that happens in this world is affected by the tools that we, we write. We don't have to necessarily be at the center of every trade, our software, but it should be, it should be involved in some way in every, in, every, in every kind of a trade that happens. And in the process of that end objective, what stage are you guys at in the, in the evolution of reaching that? Right, so like if you are a part of every trade, that would be that would be you know a, a long-term goal. So the the an aspirational goal, maybe one that we'll never uh, fully reach, but it's our goal. Um, where we are at now is we're trading a fraction of one percent of blockchain assets. So if you look at like a th Ethereum assets, we're probably involved in a fraction of of one percent of the assets that are being traded there. Okay, and. In terms of your process, so we talked earlier, we mentioned that, uh, you know, ethics.market is the app or a DAP, however you want to say it. It's yeah. a uh, distributed application. What does that mean? Yeah, that, that means that there is no, there is no, like, center to it. Like, it basically, you could run the DAP without our company. If our company didn't exist, 
you could still use the tools. It's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, if you look back at software before the internet, you could run that software even if the company wasn't around anymore. Now you have stuff like Facebook and Google where you have to connect to those, those data banks in order to use the computer, right, in order to use the software they've made. Um, so that's like, would be the opposite of a distributed application. Um, the distributed apps are more like the original software that we were running on computers before those companies, mm -hmm. where, where you literally run it on your own machine. Right. Um, but they're able to communicate with blockchains that then communicate with, with other users running the same software. Okay. So, so yeah, there's no, there's no server to hold all your personal data. There's no, there's no curtain. We have no special view of the software and its usage. Like we don't have like some admin privileges or anything like that. It's a, it's a application that doesn't, it doesn't have a center. We don't, there's no server. How do you monetize something like that? So whenever, whenever a trade happens, we collect a small fee and that all happens in a completely transparent way. So in the blockchain, there's a program that describes this swap and how the swap happens. It's basically a little program that says when this fund goes here and this one goes here and they agree, then swap and then give ethics a tiny fee for writing the software to make all this happen. And all that's in the, in the, in the software. Okay, perfect. That makes a lot of sense. And, and so you, know, you talked about your long-term goals for ethics in the market, but on the website mentions possibly an ICO in the future. Uh, and it, specifically what I was curious about was it mentions useful tokens. So what's the difference between a useful token and a non-useful uh, token? A useless token, maybe. Right, <laughs> useless token, so, right, yeah. So, like, so yeah, the, the, the idea is that um, we're particularly interested in blockchain tokens uh, right now, you know, as we, as we, you know, we had to start somewhere. So we picked blockchain tokens that were, we call useful tokens. And they're this subset of, of tokens that create economic incentives inside open source projects. So it used to be that like open source projects like Linux or, or the Apache web browser or SQL or something, they were written by people who were just contributing the code freely without a real economic incentive in a lot of cases. They're just writing open source software. Well, we're starting to see projects now where the software itself has economic incentive for the participants so that like you're able to write the software and then have a token cause people to to sort of like contribute to the project. So for example, there are projects that allow you to rent out your disk drive, almost like to the cloud. And anyone else can buy that disk space from you and use it to serve up things on the internet. And they give you a token to do that. And if you want to use someone else's, you give them a token to use theirs. And so these tokens are a part of these large open source projects that, that are essentially competing, a lot of them are competing with things like Amazon Cloud. But you know, we call this a useful token, a token that can help you accomplish a, a goal, or a token that is like involved in some, some open source project. And those are the tokens that we trade. Okay, interesting. So, so and then a useless them. token would just be a token that has nothing tied to it. Yeah, we don't, we don't, name, we don't name them useless tokens. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's when, it's when it doesn't do anything. When right. all you can do is transmit it, all you can do is talk about it, you could talk, it might have a price for some reason, but it's just this thing that, that is something you can collect. It doesn't have a, a it doesn't fit into some other machine. Mm -hmm. It's just a, you know, there's no coin slot for so it. So like the immediate one that pops to mind, was it like Doge token or Doge? Not yeah. that we have to mention anybody, I can delete yeah. this out. Yeah, that, that might be, that might be more, but you know, I don't know for sure. I don't know, I don't know enough about that project, but mm -hmm. if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't like turn a crank when you put it in something, if it doesn't 
cause some effect when you use it. If it's just a matter of collecting them and sending them, mm -hmm. then that's cool. We think that there are some like big, that's what Bitcoin does. You, right. you, all you can do is collect and send them, you know, uh, and exchange them. You know, that's it. Uh, but that's not what we're interested. in. We're interested in these tokens that actually can can cause people to work together in really interesting ways. Interesting. Interesting. So. You're actually the second blockchain team that we've worked with and talked with on on uh, Conrad Columbus. Do you think that Columbus has a thriving kind of blockchain team, or do you, do you see Columbus growing and continue to grow in the blockchain space? One of the things about the blockchain revolution that that's that's been happening that I think is really interesting is that it it doesn't have a center. Just like the blockchain is distributed, there isn't like a headquarters. Mm -hmm. It's not New York. Absolutely not. It's not San Francisco. There isn't really like the one place that you say that is it. That's the spot. A lot of people, a lot of regions, like will will take credit for like, oh yeah, this is really our, you know we're gonna we're gonna make sure we're involved in this revolution and get into it and all this. But but like there isn't really like this place you go to do it. You can do you can work on these projects anywhere. And um, so when I was traveling the country, I mean that's what I was discovering is that there's blockchain groups everywhere and they're all. They're all strong and, you know, they're in San Francisco, they're in Tennessee, and they're in Columbus. So as you look to build out your own coin, are there any specific milestones? Well, I mean, the, the idea we have right now is that we'll sell a coin that will reduce that fee. When, when two things swap, we get this fee. When you buy this coin, if you hold it, your fee will get cut in half. So it's smaller. Um, that's, that's fine. That's kind of straightforward. It's cool. We can sell it on our own with our own software, you know, it'll be tradable with our own peer-to-peer -peer trading software. Um, and that, and that's gonna be, you know, I'm looking forward to, to doing that. But it's not, it's not the only thing we wanna do in that space. It's just kind of like, for us, it's kind of just a use case and another item, it's just another useful token. If you own it, your fees are reduced in this trading system, that has a use, it's cool, let's, let's, uh, let's do it. So it's kind of like one of those things. This is not a, um, we're not like an ICO company that's like raising money for our company through the ICO process. We're, we're, but we think that like, hey, if we can make a token that would have some use in our software, let's do it. And so it's, it's basically ready, you know, we're gonna wait until the time is right. We're gonna, as we grow, like it'll get, and as we can reach more people, I think it'll get, it'll be better. So we're gonna wait until the, the time is right and then, and then start selling it. So where does the business side come from you? Like, are you uh, are you more interested in business now than you were when you first just started with software engineering? Like, it sounds like now you guys are obviously looking to grow something special that will probably last a significant amount of your life and some years ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, the business side of things is just, it's a necessity for, for any engineering project. And so it, I think that you just, in the end, it's like you, if you're thinking about engineering, you have to be thinking about, as I was kind of saying earlier, you know, kilograms, velocity, you know, kilobytes, you know, and the way things are, the way the finances work is also like uh, sort of fundamental to engineering. And yeah, I mean, I, I try not to separate it too much out from the, from the, I try to keep it in the sort of engineering realm as much as I can. Will you eventually bring on somebody else that's more business oriented? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I mean, I think, I, I feel like it's my job to bring on, um, you know, good people and, and get them involved in the project as best as I can, and hopefully they, they all know more than I do about all this stuff. Yeah. Right. What about outside of the company? Is there anything else uh, in the future that you're really excited about, or is this kind of like just your, your full focus? This is my full focus, but um, I'm excited about lots of things. I mean, I, I, I think 
there's it's gonna be it's gonna be really exciting to watch how the world changes over the next few years and and I say that because I've sort of witnessed this centralization decentralization in technology since I was born you know you had you had um, you know mainframe servers and then personal computers and then back to web browsers and internet and like it just feels like this whole thing has been oscillating back and forth and so if it ever swings back again away from the centralized mainframes and data banks that we have now if, if the technology movement ever has a revolution swings away from those things even if it doesn't swing to blockchain even if it just swings to something different it's going to be the biggest change in technology that we've ever seen because each time it's bigger so like this, I sort of see this like massive revolution on the horizon that involves essentially a more global, a more global internet. Because like as I said, the internet right now it seems global. It's not. You know, Facebook can't be accessed in every country. Well, why not? It's it's because some countries don't like it and they have their own Facebook, and so they ban Facebook. We have a very fragmented internet. It it should be a place that connects everybody and and it allows you to speak with people through auto translation and share human experiences all over the world, but it doesn't. It's really fragmented because of the centralization and also because of the way the, the, the corporate incentives work. And so like, if we ever have a technological revolution again, if it ever swings again, it may never, but if it ever swings away from being centralized again, it's gonna be just the biggest, most exciting revolution we've ever had. So theoretically an internet where governments couldn't control what you see, where people couldn't control who has access to what, would be a decentralized internet. Another, one, another way to say it would be like bad governments. Like you know, I'm not. I'm you know, I, I don't want. This is not like an anti-government uh, mentality. It's just a matter of saying that like, shouldn't the internet be a thing that connects everybody everywhere? And and right now it doesn't do that. And it, it doesn't do that for for a number of reasons. And also, shouldn't it shouldn't it maybe be a place where where it's not consolidated uh, behind uh, like walled gardens? You know, like Facebook or Apple might do, or Google even. Like shouldn't the uh, I mean, the other thing going on right now is that like, like behind the scenes, Google has all this technology to achieve what they do, but no one's able to really see how it's done. It's all behind a curtain. And it's like more, you know, a more open and distributed technology set like it kind of used to be. Going back to that again would be just a massive, a massive revolution. And, uh, but wanted to kind of pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. It's centered around a theme on Conquering Columbus, uh, which is live uncomfortably and without telling you too much about why Josh and I chose that phrase. What do you think of when you hear it? How do you apply it to your life and career? Well, I, yeah, I mean, comfort like has this sense that you're you're sitting still, you know, and you're not you're not really challenging yourself and you're not learning new things and you're just kind of running the same old program that you run and doing the same old thing that you did last year, you know. And and I think that that might be a sense of comfort for people, but the problem is that like nobody really likes that and I don't think I don't think people don't like I don't think it's good for people to kind of be doing something really, really repetitive and, and, and something that, they, that they're already good at. You know, it's like learning new things is uncomfortable. Uh, doing new things is uncomfortable. You know, changing, uh, uh, taking the kind of like crystal castle you've built for yourself and wrecking it and starting again. You know, that, all that stuff is really uncomfortable um, and, and, uh, and, and terrifying. But, but at the same time, like if you're learning stuff and you're growing while doing that, maybe it's worth it. Definitely. Well, Dan, thanks a lot. That's a great answer. And we really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story, talk about blockchain and everything else you have going on here at uh, Conquering Columbus.
Yeah, it's been good. I'm glad you guys are doing this, and um, it's good to be able to talk to Columbus. Yeah, and if you guys want to learn more about Dan and his team or ethics.market, you can check out all the links down in the show notes. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.